Welcome to the Brick Business Show, where we talk about Lego investing, Lego reselling, entrepreneurship, and how people all around the world are using the thing that they love, Lego, to create an income and build a business. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another live stream, and it's been a little while. I'm super excited to be finally back here doing another live and um, just, I've, I'm really excited about this one because I've got Jared here from Life in Pieces. And uh, Jared, it's been a little while since, you know, I finally got you here. We've been talking about doing this for quite some time. Oh, Super yeah. Super excited to have you here, man. How are you doing? Doing well. Doing well. Staying busy. It was uh, it was good that we, we got to, to bump this back a day because I was a little uh, little busy over the weekend. Yeah, 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 yeah. Thank you as well for the flexibility. Much appreciated. Sure. Um, now, before we jump in, I want to let everybody know that, so I've been thinking about going a little bit broader with this uh, live stream. And so in the past, you know, I've talked to BrickLink sellers, I've talked to Lego investors and all sorts of different kind of people involved in some sort of business to do with Lego. And so I started realizing, you know, I just want to double down on that concept. And so I'm renaming and rebranding this live stream from BrickBucks Live into the Brick Business Show. So we're going to just talk about any sort of business to do with Lego. I just love business. I love Lego. So, you know, that's like, that's where I want to take this thing. And so, Jared, I think this is a great kind of inaugural, inaugural I guess, uh, interview to kick this off because you've got some really interesting stuff going when it comes to your business, what you're doing in the world of, of Lego. So I want to jump in. I want to uh, to take it back to you know, the beginning for you. And so I know you are full-time um, with with BrickLink and you also do like really interesting stuff with mocks. Um, but, you know, let's just go back a little further than that. And, and, you know, I guess, how did you get started with all of this, right? How did you, uh, where did Lego begin for you? Like, did you grow up with Lego? Oh, yeah. Um, I, uh, I was a Lego kid from, you know, the time that I could snap bricks together. But uh, it, it went until probably I was like a, a teenager and then, you know, discovered all the things that, uh, that teenage boys discover. And, uh, from there kind of whittled off. And then when I, when I started college, I was kind of doing some stuff. I, I was doing some, some building on my own. And, uh, it was, it was interesting just to kind of see how things had evolved. Like there was now a Lego community that was really out there. Um, I remember um, Brickstar as an app started and people were posting their mocks and everything. And that was really cool. Lego was doing their contests. And so I did a lot of that privately. I built some big things. Um, I won one of those Lego contests, which was really cool. And they would just send you like $300 in random Lego. And ah, okay. uh, yeah, yeah, it was really neat, uh, especially when like you're a college kid and you can't afford to buy any of things. So, you yeah. know, it, it was more parts for me. And uh, and then. I kind of came off it again and I was starting my own business, you know, in a different field and things were not very Lego at that time. And, uh, and then COVID happened and my business kind of got put into the like pandemic sleeper hold that it put into a lot of, a lot of small businesses. And, uh, I was left with trying to figure out what I was going to do. Um, so I, I had, luckily, um, a bunch of older storage boxes of separated Lego because I did that myself anyway. And uh, I started going through, and most of it was brand new because it was stuff that I bought, you know, for my own mocks. Yeah. And uh, 
So I started going through it and, uh, and I had a Bricklink store open. I think it was just for inventory. I don't really think I sold anything. And I just started doing it one day. I, I don't know. I don't really know. I just kind of thought, all right, well, I can do this. And, uh, and so I, about two weeks, I was just putting inventory in, putting inventory in. I think I put in like five, 10,000 pieces and opened and started getting orders. And it was right at that time where Bricklink was gaining tons of volume. So, uh, you know, riding off that a bit. Um, and I just reinvested everything that came in because I wasn't really worried about that. It was just something for me to do at that time. And uh, it just kind of grew and grew and grew. And I remember um, I remember sitting outside uh, talking to my dad about this. And, you know, he was uh, very much the pragmatist and was like, he's like, all right, well, that's great. But like, what are you going to do for money? And I was like, well, now I'm going to do this, like out of, you know, out of whatever I need. But uh, it, it, it just kind of kept going. Yeah. Yeah. That's always the most difficult thing. You know, everybody that I talk to in, you know, the Lego investing community has this uh, thing where it's like my biggest challenge is convincing my spouse or my family members. If I can yeah. do that, then we're good. You know, so it's always it's always difficult. So you were going through college. You were like kind of like so this lego comp contest that you won was this for design yeah and i can't even remember what it was um something like small something that wasn't but it was um it was through lego they used to run on lego.com like every couple of months they would do content the contests and uh and you know sometimes they would be like you know you'll win like this star wars set because it's a star wars contest or sometimes it would just be mm. you know random stuff and i i don't remember what it was i probably should because uh you know that's kind of important to the origin story but i don't know it's uh it's somewhere in the ether but design was kind of obviously built into you from you know from a young age you know because a lot a lot of people yeah. grew up with lego but you know didn't necessarily um approach it from a creative standpoint in you know in creating their own designs right a lot of people just follow the instructions and they're happy they will play you know when they're younger obviously they'll play with the minifigs or play with the sets that they build but, you know, then it's kind of a whole different angle to come at that from a, I'm going to create something that, you know, is just from my imagination or enter contests for creating, uh, yeah. you know, and actually make a bigger deal out of this approach, you know. And so it sounds like, you know, obviously there was hints early that you would love to get involved with actually making your own designs, uh, oh, yeah. which has led you to where you are now. Yeah, I mean, uh, a, a little hint. I, I didn't keep my sets together for more than a day or so. And wow. then I would pull them all apart and I would, uh, I'd use them for what, you know, I would buy, I, I would be a kid and I'd, you know, see uh, a new Star Wars set would come out and I want just the windscreen out of that to do something with it. So, huh. and that's what I would do. And, uh, you know, if you're a parent of a kid who's spending, you know, 50, 60, 70, $80 on a, on a Lego set and you watch them build it and then immediately go, okay, I'm going to rip it apart now. Cause I just want that, you know, you, what are you going to do? <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, but just, but definitely is there yeah i mean i guess you just convince your parents like well it just means i get to reuse the stuff yeah. that's in it right it's oh, better yeah. to put it on a shelf and <laughs> and i come from a from a, a construction family my, my dad was a, is a civil engineer so uh oh, you know man. it it all it, it all has its its origin yeah okay makes total sense okay so then coming into 2020 um you know you had started up a separate business nothing to do with lego um, COVID obviously hit, 
And mm-hmm. you were kind of saying that, you know, there was a, there was a point where you realized that you wanted to go full-time into, into uh, BrickLink. You already had a store open. Mm-hmm. What was that realization like for you? Like, wh- like how did you, I guess, stumble across or rediscover, um, you know, the idea of selling parts, Lego parts online? Like, was there, was there a sudden kind of epiphany that you had where you were maybe browsing the internet and saw something or like what, what happened there? I think it was more, um, you know, when, when everybody was stuck at home, they were stuck at home with the things that they had at home. And for me, I had, you know, effectively what was a room that was filled with a bunch of other stuff, but it was also filled mm-hmm. with, you know, all these storage boxes. And I, and I, I don't really know what it was. All I know that is that one day I went like, I could just do that. I have nothing to do right now and throw myself at that and uh and here we are (laughs) yeah yeah and so but i mean even with covid and even with a lot of people kind of sitting at home and having less to do there's an opportunity cost right so did you at any point kind of think you know like i guess weigh up the options on like could i be successful with this did you have any doubt uh oh yeah I, I I still have doubt. <laughs> um, every 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 thirty forty days or so, I have that imposter syndrome moment. But we, uh, I I really didn't know what it was really going to grow into. I was just kind of stubborn. I wanted to make it work, and I kept throwing my time into it, um, most of my time into it, and uh, it was. It was very interesting to see how it how it developed. Um, I remember, you know, uh, things were like slowly growing, and then July of 2020, for some reason, like my sales doubled, and I was just like, "Oh, okay, like we could we could do something with this." And then, you know, it it kind of progressed, and I was able to to really see some some measured growth there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the, and what month did you start in in 2020? Think you said uh, right at the beginning of April. Okay. Okay. So just a couple of months, I guess, to kind of get a little bit of um, confidence into what you were doing and more parts. Yeah. Right. And so, what was that like then, in terms of like quickly growing this thing? Like, did you know from the outset that you know you needed to get to a certain amount of parts, and did you go in hot and heavy on that, or did you kind of start slowly and then start to realize it? I started slowly. Um... I quickly realized and, and through watching some YouTube videos and also just kind of like looking at the top stores uh, on Bricklink, like the top performers that they have every month. And why are they the top performers? What do they have that I don't? Why can they set their prices three times what I can set and yet still sell in a volume? And it's just, you know, the the, the variety and the volume of parts they have, you know, um, I always keep several thousand of, of each major tile in stock now because I know th- there's just the time where somebody goes in and buys them all. And I know that because I do that sometimes. Right. So, you know, it's a, uh, it, it's, it's a huge advantage to have. Um, but it, but it, yeah, it was more looking at what makes other stores work and, and trying to figure it out. I mean, you, it, it's kind of like throwing, uh, throwing darts at the board with your eyes closed because you don't really understand exactly how things are promoted sometimes you know mm-hmm. why why did i go lower in the wanted list even though i have the same exact amount of parts what what that you need what what is the you know what is the the deciding factor and uh, so just you know adding more and more of the the lot count definitely helps 
So something that you just said there, I really like, I just want to emphasize on it because I think, you know, it's important for everybody to, to really kind of step back and, and think about, and that is that you analyzed all of the top stores when you first started out. Right. Oh yeah. That sounds like a very simple thing. However, like so many people don't take the time to take that step, right. And, and to look around them and figure out what other people are doing. Maybe they do watch the YouTube videos. Um, but the thing about watching YouTube videos, you know, and I know this very well being a YouTube creator is mm -hmm. that like it's surface level stuff right now. The BrickLink world is very impressive. What the, you know, the big BrickLink stores who are on YouTube are willing to share. Sure. It's amazing. I think it's fantastic. And I, you know, I commend, uh, you know, those different channels that are very, very transparent about their business. Um, but there's, you know, in any business, there's a certain amount that's going to be shared publicly and there's a certain amount that's not going to be shared publicly. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, you can still start to figure some stuff out about the stuff that's not shared publicly by just watching what people are doing, right? Just sure. watching, instead of just listening to what they're saying in their YouTube videos, but actually watching what they're doing. And so that's what you did then, because you looked at their actual stores. You took it upon yourself to actually go into the stores, look at what they're selling, look at the pieces, and you know, actually kind of get an understanding of what's going on with those top sellers, what makes them so successful, right? Oh, oh yeah. We can do it with Lego investing as well, right? So those of you out there who sell sealed sets like I do, um, you know, we invest in sets and we store them away and then we sell them and we can do that too, right? We can go into Amazon and find the top sellers of Lego. We can find what sets are they stocking? What prices are they setting? What is their expectation for different sets? We mm. can do these things, right? And a lot of people don't do it. Uh, we can do it on eBay. We can also do it on BrickLink for sealed sets because obviously you can sell sealed sets there as well. So, sure. and not just for Lego, but for business in general, watching what other people are doing, super, super important, you know, and, and just kind of modeling after those who are successful. So I loved what you said there, Jared. That was, you know, I think that is, is a key to success for sure. Sure. I, I want to add to that in one point, because for, for Amazon, you guys are at a bit of an advantage there just because you have better analytics than you do on BrickLink. You know, on BrickLink, you really you you can see sales for the past six months and everything, but you can't really figure out. You know, you can see the top demand items, but you can't see more than that. I can't see how many um, you know, how many people are looking for certain items. I can't see you know that kind of thing. Um, what I did to start was uh, the the big U.S. stores specifically because it pertains to me. Um, I went in with all of what I thought were going to be the most um, most popular parts. And I went into those stores and I added all of the inventory they had into a cart. And then in, on BrickLink, when someone something affects your cart, so let's say they have less than than you have, um, it, it, it'll notify you. So I would know, okay, well, 5,000 of these sold. And it's been three days. Okay, so that's a high demand item, and now they're running out. So the competition is now running out, and then I would go and try to stock up on those things. That is fascinating. Yeah, because that's that's something I haven't heard anybody say before. I don't know if that's common, <laughs> not, like if that's a tactic that I, everybody knows about. I no idea, but to me, that's that's a real hack right there. So you know, hopefully, some folks out there didn't didn't know about that. But that's great. Sure. So you're adding. <laughs> You're, so can you walk through a little bit slower on, in terms of how, to, how someone can actually do that? So you're adding parts sure. into your cart on BrickLink and then waiting yep. for email notifications, right? So not necessarily email notifications, more um, let's say you, you see a store that has um, 
black one by two tiles yeah. and um, they have 10,000 of them. I would add 10,000 of them in my cart and then uh, I would just leave my cart alone for a couple of days. And then I would go back and I would check how many of them are left. Cause I, you know, if they added more fine, that might throw it off. But, uh, but I would see, you know, all right, well, 2000 of them sold. Then I know that that's an item that I need to stock more of because they can sell at that volume and just kind of, you know, as a, as a learning curve to start, but for the more popular parts like that, you really don't need to do it. You know that they're going to sell, but for something a little more niche, that helps, you know, it helps to see, you're not just seeing the, uh, the sales metrics, um, you know, that are posted, but you're seeing at what volume they're selling per day. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. That's awesome. I love that. So, I mean, yeah, looking at what's going on with other people, looking at what's going on in other stores, the people around you, um, absolutely love that. So, I mean, you were going through those first couple of months in 2020. There was a lot of craziness, obviously, as we know, in the world yep. at that time. Uh, a lot of people would say you're crazy to try and start a business at that time so that you have, like, I mean, you, you mentioned that your father was one of the naysayers, right? And he was kind of confused <laughs> as to what you were doing. Yeah, and he's probably watching this. So I have to be a little careful about what I say. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wish you could bring him on. <laughs> so, I mean, how do, you, how do you approach that, you know, and even to this day, how do you approach that discussion with people? Um, who don't really get it. I mean, they, so my, my family was actually pretty, pretty supportive of me doing, you know, doing something. Um, it was more that, you know, it was very hard to see that it could be a full-time job at the time. Mm -hmm. It looked much more like, you know, a, a side hustle that you could throw on. And it's really kind of what I thought it was, you know, I wanted it to be something more, but I just kind of, you know, kept going. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, I, I don't know. It was um, it was much more of just uh, just showing people what I was doing, you know, um, showing them, you know, how I was organizing, the, like any little thing like that. I mean, I, I I know we uh we we mentioned it before, but you know the the getting family members to understand it's uh, just show them, show them what you're doing, show them show them what. Why, why, if it, if it makes sense to you and you're close to these people, it should make sense to them if you explain it. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, it, it, I think that's really it. I don't think there's anything super crazy to it. You know, it was, a, uh, it's just yeah. kind of an experience that everybody has to go through. Right. Maybe it's a little easier for Bricklink than it is for Lego investors because you're selling yeah. right away. Right. And you're yes. it's more tangible. You're kind of breaking out into a, a very obvious inventory system and there's sales coming in and you can kind of see it. It's a bit more visual. And us Lego investors, we need to put this, like we're coming home, honey, I just spent <laughs> $2,000 on this Lego set. I'm going to put it in the <laughs> spare bedroom for the next year. Uh, it's a little bit difficult sometimes. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. So, so that's, that's a, a common, a common challenge. So how, I mean, let's, let's talk about, I guess your first year, right? So by the mm -hmm. end of a year, did you, were you like, I guess, firstly, were you profitable after a year? Yeah. Um, okay. I was profitable. Well, it's funny. Um, I was profitable, um, by September. Oh, wow. Okay. And then I made a conscious choice not to be profitable for okay. the next two years. And, and we'll see, um, it, it now, 
I, it's like month by month what I actually, you know, try to, to, to put back in um, and finding deals that I think are worthwhile or if I want to stockpile some cash to, to, to throw at something else. But, um, but yeah, I, I, I made that choice one um, because, you know, for Brickling selling, growing that inventory is not quite an exponential growth in scale in, in sales, but it's pretty close. You know, you, when you have, you know, the difference between 4,000 lots and 10,000 lots is, uh, is a lot in your, in just sales volume. Um, yeah. so, you know, it's a calculated gamble. Um, but r really for the first couple of months, I mean, you know, I wasn't really super struggling and it was more of a side thing. So I was just throwing everything I could back into it. And that I think is kind of what gave me the the motivation to keep doing that. Um, you know, now it's full time. Now I have to pay myself. Um, but uh, it, it, the transition to that was kind of interesting. So I, I went, um, let's see the first year. So that's April to April. I went full time in July of 2021. Okay. So it was about a year and four months, roughly, um, three months ish. Um, and, uh, it was, you know, it, it was just at that point where I, you know, when I needed to start paying myself. So some of the money went there, but, um, but still, I mean, you know, all of these are not cheap and that was yeah. a conscious decision to make, um, which was like pulling teeth, but, uh, but it, you know, every single, every single thing like that is important, and it really, I mean, it's up to every person to what they want to evaluate, what they feel like they can put back in, and what they can, what they can, what they want to pull out. Um, yeah, it's yeah, you know, paying paying yourself is what you're supposed to do, but uh, I, I'm sure you know it too. You know, it's it's hard to do sometimes when you just see good deals in front of you, and you're like, I could pay myself, or I could buy five of those. So exactly, yeah. <laughs> it's an investing mindset, right? And it's it's mm -hmm. something that entrepreneurs have kind of ingrained in them is like is the understanding of, or I guess a delayed gratification, right? Being okay yeah. with taking less now because you know in the future that'll multiply. And understanding like the compound effect and how, you know, if you leave that dollar in the business today, it's not going to be worth just $2 next year. Like it could be worth more than $2 next year because of, you know, the way it's going to be reinvested and, and what it could lead to sure. um, and the doors that could open by continuously reinvesting back into your business. And so the good thing about it is it's a great problem to have. You know, you could either take an amazing income for yourself and for your family and, and, you know, go on a vacation uh, or you could grow your business. And then, you know, in the future, you can take three vacations. Right. So it's it's yeah. that mentality and, and making those decisions. And it is a fantastic problem to have. I I struggle with it as well sometimes and, and not, you know, luckily, sometimes with depending on where you are in the world. Um, I know where you are, Jared, but whoever's watching, depending on where you are <laughs> in the world, sometimes it's mandated by your tax return to uh, to take something at least. So, yeah, we have uh, we have reasons. But um, so aside from financial, mm -hmm. how did that first year, like, how, like I guess, did you enjoy the, the beginning or was it like a headache yeah. and a struggle that you kind of thought maybe it'll get better in the future or did you love it from day one? Um, I mean, I, I enjoy the process of it. Um, 
packing orders can get tedious, but it also can be therapeutic depending on what you're doing. Um, you know, I get the uh, the ability to watch YouTube every day while I work. Um, and, you know, it, that's, yeah, that's a, a little reward in itself. But um, I, I don't really find it super tedious. I like deal hunting. Um, and that's, you know, when we talk about delayed gratification, I find the gratification in doing the deal hunting. And that kind of helps stem that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, when you, like, I'll be stumbling around and, and everybody has their little, like, you know, quiet sources that they don't tell anybody about. And, you know, you get a message from one of them and you go like, ooh, this made my day. Um, so it, it's, that that's a, a big part of it. And that's the part that I really enjoy doing. Um, yeah. And I'm sure a lot of the, the Lego investing community does too, you know, when, uh, when you find a 40% off discount, you know, there's a, there's a reason that everybody goes nuts over prime day, maybe not this prime day, but, uh, but, but prime day in general. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, the, the, the order packing and everything is great. I mean, importing, inputting parts can be tedious. Um, especially when you do most of it yourself, it's, uh, it's, it's a lot of work. Um, but, it is what it is. You know, not nobody likes every single part of their job. And if they right. do, they're crazy. Um, or they have an amazing job. But um, I don't know. It's uh, it's just enjoy the parts that you enjoy. I, I enjoy the fact that I get to kind of do whatever I want. But um, but definitely for that first year, it started to it started to get to be a bit much because I was still working. Um, I was. Uh, I was working from, you know, uh, 2020 through 2021, uh, for a commercial real estate firm. Um, and, uh, so still my license there. Um, but, uh, it, uh, that it was getting to be a lot. It was getting to be a lot of work where I would come home, you know, at five o'clock and then I would go home and just pack orders. And, uh, you know, you take a break for dinner and then you go back and you pack orders till 10, 11 o'clock and then you go to bed and, and you do it again. And the weekends are catch up. The weekends were, you know, what can I input? Um, and it just got to be a lot um, yeah. and a choice had to be made. Yeah. Well, again, amazing that you could make that choice, right? Amazing that you that it gave you choices. And it's, it's sure. also it says a lot for. um I guess even with the difficulty of some of the aspects of the business, it says a lot that you chose it over your other job. Right. And that, you know, that um, people can create businesses with, you know, Bricklink or other aspects of Lego that within sure. a year they prefer over their other job and they can mm. quit. Oh, know, absolutely. Depending on other circumstances. It's amazing that the opportunity was there at that time. Yeah. And I mean, you know, Real estate's a very lucrative business to be in, right? I have I have no illusions that I'm going to make the same amount of money, you know, doing this that I will doing that. But yeah. this is what I like to do, and it's mine. So you know, that's a it's a it's a big it's a big difference. That is the key right there. That yeah, yeah. that I think for, again for any entrepreneur, anybody out there who either is currently running a business or has some sort of, you know, I guess, attraction to eventually running a business that right there, what you just said is exactly like that resonates with everybody. I've no doubt 
that oh, it's yeah. mine, that like it is mine. And the, like it's built into entrepreneurs to just want to um, to do something that they have the ultimate say over, that they have the ultimate control over, that nobody else can come along and tell them how to spend their day. Uh, you know, the, and the work that you put into it will lead to more returns for you and for your family and for your future. That's where I struggle with nine to five regular yeah. job life. And I still work full time. Um, you know, I run my businesses uh, on the site as well. Um, but the thing that I struggle about in my full time job is really that it's the more I put into it is is kind of much less likely to give me an equal amount of return. Uh, sure. sure, you know, I could get a promotion because I work harder. Um, but it's not like when you're running a business where when you work that extra bit, it's definitely going to lead to more return. Like it's the, the you know, the, the ratio of what you get back is just so much more. And uh, it, yeah, it definitely leads to, you know, an attachment to it, but also um, a lot of enjoyment and satisfaction in the work that you're doing. Sure. Uh, Especially so. when you're when you're working you know, your, your business along with the nine to five, it's very hard to care about the nine to five because yeah. all you, you want to get home, you want to work on your own stuff. And, um, you know, I mean, I, I, I have a, a friend of mine who uses the term uh, clinically unemployable. And I think that's a, a pretty, a pretty good way to describe, uh, how I get sometimes. Um, but it, it you just kind of, it's it's no fault of anybody's. I just kind of go like, all right, but this is mine and this is important and I need to do this. And it's just kind of, it, it it eventually had to come to a head in some way. Yeah. And during that first year, it sounds like you had to make a ton of sacrifice. Would that be fair? Um, Probably. I don't really see it that way, but probably. Mm -hmm. um, it wasn't, I don't think it, felt as hard then as it did when I stopped doing both at the same time. There was like a good crash where um, that like first week was like, I could go out and go for a walk right now because I don't have to spend all of my time bent over the, you know, over all of my stuff trying to make it work. And, uh, and so I did. Then I went a little bit crazy because then you have a little too much freedom and then you don't really know what to do with yourself. And, um, but it, it, I'm, I'm proud to say like over this past year, I learned a lot to balance that out. Um, you know, I'm actually going on a vacation this, this year. Like, you know, this is a, we're, we've made some serious progress. That's amazing. So, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's fantastic. And so, yeah, it was, it was difficult in the beginning when you went full-time in the beginning, it was difficult to get kind of more structure and rhythm. Um, to adjust to actually having more time yeah, because, you know, all of a sudden you had all like all of that yeah, time freed up. And so I guess, can you walk us through a day in the life when you first started? Like how did your days look like when you suddenly found yourself being a full-time Brickling seller? Um, I, uh, <laughs> I, that was, so it was, let's see, it was like the last week in July of 2021. Right. Um, and you know that's about the time that Walmart does their uh, their dump the stuff clearance for the summer. So that's how I spent that first week. I had the time, and I cleared out probably seven, eight Walmarts around, and I made a just a, a backlog wall of stuff. And then I just started parting out. So I 
I didn't have a huge inventory then. Um, I do a lot of minifigure sales. So like the, the, the quantity isn't always, you know, what it would be for someone who just sells mainly parts. But um, I was probably at 200,000 parts. And I think when I went from like 200,000 to like 270 in like, you know, a month and a half, because I just was parting out everything that that and immediately, it wasn't this goes on the pile, it goes this goes on the pile, but the pile went down four boxes today. So like, let's keep, you know, um, and that's really what I was doing. Um, you know, orders went out quicker, um, probably quicker than they do now. Um, but, uh, you know, it was it was definitely a, a change just in in the store. And I mean, the the real the real gift is that the volume of sales held like it, it you know, I didn't have that moment where I went like, oh, my God, what did I do? You know, I just I just stepped back from all this and then the volume of sales dropped. I think I would have screamed. But, um, you know, we it, it was able it was able to hold steady. And I think that was a that was a kind of a, a little miracle. But and by that point, I guess you had already seen what was possible and yeah. how the thing would work. And you knew, you know, I, like you obviously knew in de great detail the return that you would get on just doubling down on those parts, doubling down mm -hmm. on that growth. And so even if you didn't see massive sales spikes immediately, the fact that you're growing the store so aggressively yeah. had, had to have given you a ton of confidence at that point. You were kind of like, I know that yeah. this is going to work because I'm able to grow 70,000 parts in a month. And, uh, you know, I can see what kind of part count some of the big stores are at and I can see how to get there. Oh yeah. And, and I, I pushed high. I mean, I'm still, I, I've kind of hovered around. I'm, I'm, I stay around 400,000 parts now. Um, I do go higher sometimes and then I do go lower. I think we're just under it right now, but it's also kind of what is manageable for one person because that's something to, to keep in mind. And I have a pretty wide inventory. I have like 9,000 lots close to it. Um, so it's kind of, it, it, it it's always tough to kind of find that balance. Um, these helped. They definitely made a big difference. There's about 6,000 drawers in here now, nice. um, which means every single lot has its place with the exception of like things that have one or two. So it's uh, that that was a huge, huge difference. Took a ton of time, but huge difference. <laughs> worth it. Absolutely. Oh, worth yeah. It. Oh, yeah. And so when you're you know, you're, you're suddenly finding yourself full time and Walmart are doing clearance. And I guess, are you up in the morning going straight to Walmart, getting in there before, before everybody else out there? Because Walmart clearance is, you know, it's notorious for Lego investors, for BrickLink sellers, but yep. also for online arbitrage for, or well, for more retail arbitrage, uh, Amazon sellers that, you know, they're not even there for Lego. They're there just for whatever they find. Yeah. So you gotta be kind of aggressive to get, do really, really well with that stuff. Oh yeah, and plus you don't want to deal with like the the midday Walmart traffic. You know that's just a nightmare in itself. Um, but I would I would say yeah. I mean I I be waking up at like seven o'clock in the morning and just going. You know, make a cup of co a coffee, grab a bagel on the way, and just go. And uh, and you know it, it was fun. I don't really do that anymore now. And I I I, I don't miss having to do that for inventory, but I miss like that. 
you know, it was like a little journey that you'd take and, uh, and it was fun. Um, yeah. but things have certainly scaled up a bit where I don't, I don't really do a ton of that and I don't really have the time to do a ton of that now. Same for me. Yeah. I, <laughs> I miss it as well. I really enjoy that aspect of it and like taking sourcing trips. And when we started our reselling business in general, um, you know, we, we started with books and, going out to Goodwills and searching for books and different things like going to library sales and finding inventory. Sure. Uh, it's a lot of fun. There's a thrill of the hunt that goes with it. And I always get yeah. the same thing with Lego. Um, you know, especially when there are really good opportunities out there, like the Walmart clearance or massive, like uh, give a purchase opportunities and different things like that. Um, but you know, eventually you'll probably hit a point where you outgrow and out outscale what's possible in within driving distance of your home or of your office or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. And so, was that kind of your your main sourcing strategy in the beginning, or even you know for the when you were doing this part time, is that also how you were sourcing inventory at the time? Was it mostly clearance, kind of in store? Yeah, um, you know, I I I try to be a, a, a three Xer, but you know, everyone everyone has their their little weaknesses. I. I do a lot of Star Wars, a lot of a lot of Marvel, and it's hard to do that with you know that that goal in mind. Um, so clearance definitely helps. Um, I love the clearance sets that pop up where you go. I would never buy this, but it's on clearance, and now the part out value is good. And I'm like, okay, well that's just a bonus because I would never have this in the store normally. We'll see how it works, and I get to do a little experiment there. Yep. Yep. And so as you've scaled then, how has your sourcing changed? Uh, lots of like private relationships that have started where I can tell people what I want, at, you know, um, for parts, for minifigures, for things like that and, and get them relatively quickly. And those relationships are very important to build for anybody that really wants to, to, to scale up because you can only part out so many sets, but if you get bags of thousands of parts, they, you put them away, you know, like that. Well, yeah. Yeah. And this, you know, I think is one of the, the real secrets behind, you know, getting to the next level with BrickLink. Um, so I guess if, you know, someone is watching and they kind of want to, um, to, they're at that point in the BrickLink journey and they're kind of thinking, how can I start to network and build some relationships? Is there any um, quick tips and tricks that you would give them or any kind of thought process that you you would tell them that maybe they should think about trying this or, or something else? Um, uh, yeah, I would say, I mean, reaching out to just other BrickLink sellers and just establishing a relationship, you don't know who they know and you don't know who they're willing to introduce you to or even be a middleman to, because honestly, those margins are probably still going to be better than some things. Um, so it really, it really just, it really just will help just to talk to people. Um, and that's me saying that. And I am not the most social person in the community. I probably like pop up every once in a while. Um, and and we'll sell some things or we'll you know post a mock or something but that's really it i don't i don't really i you know just now i'm starting to become social again so uh you know i i would say that i would say um you know even i mean the people that are in the in the the brick bucks group there are people there that have those kinds of relationships you don't know you just don't know um you know start start 
be nice and don't ask right away. Because that's something that's something that happened to me. Oh God. Like a couple months ago, somebody was like, Hey, could you tell me where you got these? And I was like, No. What? Yeah. Why why would I do that? <laughs> yeah. I, I got I, I got like fifty Deadpool figures in the store and they just popped up and somebody just sent me a message and they're like, Hey, where did you get these? I'm like, go away. <laughs> why would I ever tell you that? Um yeah. but you know, it, it I'd be happy to introduce someone if there was a, you know, if I'm friends with that person, if there's a relationship, you know, I'd rather have that than, uh, than, than a random message. So definitely just think about, you know, why would you ever introduce a stranger when you could introduce a friend? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to add on to that in that, like when trying to network and when trying to find like a mentor, someone out there to help you out, I think one of the really ways to get around it and just exactly what Jared just said about not asking right away, but also bring some value to the conversation or try to bring some, something to the table um, because everybody has something that they're good at, right? Maybe you are an accountant. Um, you don't know anything about selling on Bricklink, but you're an accountant. And so you could go to a, a major Bricklink seller and offer them some thoughts on, you know, how they can manage their books better. Yeah. Or maybe you're excellent. You're a computer programmer and you know how to, you know, to create a, a tool that people people would find useful or you're an excellent marketer or something. You have something. Everybody has something to bring to the table. So think about how you can approach people that you want. And it's just not it's not just for Bricklink, but, you know, in growing your business in general, whenever you need to network or whenever you need a mentor, you want to just kind of get to know people in the community. You can think about what you can bring to the table and then you can go in with that. Like, hey, I noticed you're doing this thing on Instagram. I happen to be, you know, an expert with marketing. Um, I have a couple of thoughts. Do you want me to share them with you? So you're not asking for anything. You're going in with value. Um, you could even offer to do something for free for someone, you know, if uh, if it's a big enough kind of a big seller that you really want to get to know. Um, you know, do you want to jump on a call? I can teach you some quick trip, tricks for your Instagram account. It'll be, I think it'll help you with your your Bricklink presence or, your, you know, your the branding around your Lego business. Um, and naturally there's this kind of psychological thing that kicks in with people where they there's a reciprocation that happens right when you, someone gives you something you want to return the favor in some way that's why you know when you're walking through an airport and you see like a charity there they hand you a rose and mm -hmm. then they ask you for a donation right there's like a like we're going to give you something and then you'll donate yeah. um there's a kind of a reciprocation thing that happens and so really really important to not just go sh straight in the door and be like, Hey, can you tell me all your secrets? Um, <laughs> you know, and, and like, to be honest, I get it all the time. I get DMS and stuff like that. And like, Hey, can you tell me what sets I should be investing in and different things like that? And, you know, I wish I could respond to everybody, but I get it a lot. Um, yeah. and it is the same kind of ideas that like, I, I'm not going to tell everybody just from a DM, like all of the things that they should do in their business to be successful. Um, and nobody should ever be expected to do that. So like definitely kind of think you got to approach it a little bit differently. And it's, it's a, it's a teach a man to fish kind of situation. You know, I could introduce you to someone or I could, you know, introduce you to how to do that. Um, but yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. And so you mentioned that you, like with your sourcing strategy, you typically like you started off with three X, right? And that's kind mm -hmm. of like the, the the golden target for bricklinkers. Um, like, guess getting lenient on that. Um, does that come with scale? 
Is that is it something that when someone's starting out, would you recommend that they stick with that 3X? And then maybe only when they're getting bigger and they have some networking um, opportunities and they have kind of some relationships built that they could start to simplify the time involvement with sourcing so that yeah. they can start to, I guess, be freer on the margins? Yeah. Um, so I I aim for 3Xing for part outs. Um, it's not always possible. And sometimes you just want certain things in your inventory. Um, so I would say you know, if you're flexible on it, you kind of need to have a, a, a really good reason to be. So my reason is um, I 2X on minifigures. Um, but I also don't buy minifigures that I don't think I'll sell, usually. Um, and uh, it, it that's a good kind of, you know, I broke the rule once, but then I sold all the figures really quickly. Okay. And then, you know, um, you know, uh, I'll give you the example, and we may get some some. Um, so I may get some hate mail for this. Um, the reason that Darth Revan is so high is because of me. I bought them all. <laughs> 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 um, the uh, the the Darth Revan that sold for three hundred dollars on Bricklink that was mine. Um, I I bought three or four of them, and I just kept putting them a little bit higher and a little bit higher and a little bit higher. But I wasn't getting them at a good price, but they were going quickly, and I just kept doing it. And it, you know, it was it was my my own um, my my own principles were just kind of wrong there. And so it, I think it's important to to reevaluate and to to think about those things. You know, maybe. I think even every six months is too is too short. I think it's every every couple of months if you sit back and go like, you know, how could I grow? Why are why are the things that I think should work maybe not working? Um, that that I think would definitely definitely help. I mean, every every person situation is going to be different. Every uh, everyone is going to be I don't know a little bit flexible. Super interesting example you just gave. So that <laughs> that is called cornering the market. Oh yeah, <laughs> buying up everything in existence so that you can set the price. It's a dangerous game. <laughs> like, yep. Want to caution anyone out there who is new um, to? It's you know, yeah, that's very risky to do. <laughs> I I failed at it when I first started reselling, not in Lego, but in uh, comic books. I I bought up. 20 of a very expensive comic book thinking i would be able to set the price on ebay and then someone came in with a lot more inventory it didn't yep. work so uh yeah it's a, it's a cautious game but that's that's oh, yeah. awesome i mean when you have the experience and you know what you're doing um that you can you can actually do those kind of things yeah every every once in a while i i i gamble with it and i go and i haven't been burned too badly i have i have one that's still sitting around that like mm -hmm. you know I wish it had moved faster. I've had a couple sell, but you know, uh, it, it. I've reached out to a couple of sellers, like, "Hey, do you want some of these? Like, maybe, uh, you know, just like at a discounted price, you can flip them. Here's what the market price is, and uh, you know, but yeah, it it is what it is. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep, yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot more questions that I'd I'd love to jump into on the Brickling side of your business, but we, we can come back to some of that stuff. I'd love sure. to talk a little bit about your um, mock design business it's super interesting to me um so you i guess give us just a kind of a, a like a quick 
run down on exactly what you're doing. You're you're designing out of your uh, your space mm -hmm. um, mocks on commission. Is that right? Correct. Uh, yeah. So um, some are local, some aren't, but um, basically can be an individual it can be a, a company looking for something um generally they reach out with just like a rough overview maybe some photos and uh and we we discuss it and kind of come to an agreement on what needs to be done um and then it's um you know it, it can be a, a standing model by itself it can be um a set plus instructions it can be you know wh whatever the heart desires wow amazing and so um, I mean, I could think of so many reasons why someone would want a mock designed, but I could also imagine that there's a lot of people that don't even realize that that kind of service exists out there. So do you find that there is a ton of market for that or did a lot, lot of, did a big market exist for paid commission jobs for mocks before? And did you kind of stumble across it? There are a lot of people that do it. Um, it's not, I don't think it's as well known as um, like the Brickling sellers are. But I mean, there, there's definitely a lot there. I think it's more, um, I, I definitely have certain specialties. Um, I do well with large architecture. I do well with Star Wars stuff. I do well with mosaics. Um, and then I've gotten a lot better at other things now because I get kind of oddball commissions that come in where I'm like, I have no idea how to do that, but sure, let's try it. And then you, you figure it out. Um, I think it's, I think it's much more prevalent than a lot of people think. If they just like take one one step, you know, you realize that the, it's a it's a deep lake. Yeah, yeah. And I just realized. So for anybody who's listening who has never heard the word mock, which I'm sure there's not that many, it is like custom designs essentially. And so Jared is designing custom sets um, for clients, for companies. Uh, you did one for your town, was that right? Uh, it's for uh, for a company in the town. It's a, the building uh, became a historic building this year. Wow! So it's a it's an anniversary of of the building, and uh, it's a 150 year old building, and we built a a, a 145th scale model of it. So it's it's roughly minifigure scale. It's amazing. And so, what like do you know what the plan is for them to display that? Will it be in like the lobby of the building? I think it's going in like the retail window, like on the left-hand side, um, which will be really neat. Yeah, um, that's that's got to be like an author seeing their book in a bookstore for the first time, right? Yeah, I we're, we're trying to trying to figure out exactly where it's going to go now. Um, but yeah, that was that was kind of crazy to to be able to to get this done and really to be able to to do something this big um, was was fun. I. I get spoiled with the big stuff because I enjoy it so much. And it's always a challenge in some way. Um, sometimes Lego just doesn't want to cooperate at that size. So uh, when you, you know, when, when you do that and then like the next month you have to go back to doing something small, it's, it's tough to kind of pull back and not everything is going to be this expansive. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. Well, could you talk us through the project? That I think that's a really good 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 example to, to use in, in terms of timelines and and work involved and different things like that. So, I mean, you were balancing this around your Brickling store, yeah. Um, you know, so how much work was involved with doing it? There's a lot of work. Um, something of that size, which it's just under five feet long, about two feet high, and about the same wide, give or take. Um, 
it takes a lot of time. I generally say like four to six months for something of that size. Okay. Um, and that's time to uh, build it digitally um, and then do some revisions and whatnot and, uh, and get feedback and then actually order parts and start to build it. And with something of that size, um, what a lot of people don't take into account is that Lego doesn't like to cooperate at certain sizes. So um, that has for the brick outside of it, um, the entire building is made out of brick besides the front facade. So it uses, uh, I think, over 16,000 one by two plates in dark orange. Um, so the challenge was, where do I find them? Because they weren't out there. Um, I think I ordered from, I bought out probably about 15 or so Bricklink stores of all everything they had, and then, and then messaged them and asked them if they had more. <laughs> um and uh you know it was it was a lot but the thing is that every every part connection has a little margin of error you know you put two plates together and then you wiggle them a little bit you get that little lip that comes up and you try to be perfect but when you're doing 16,000 of them you build a margin of error so you have to be very careful and very careful lining everything up otherwise the the problem that we ran into is that uh that the roof didn't want to go on because everything was just a little bit cocked Oh, yeah. So that was just a whole process and trying to redesign the roof so I could actually fit it in and everything on the fly, just trying to, to make it work was was tough. But, you know, every every I thought that I had figured that out and I had kind of built safeguards in, which just meant it wasn't as bad as it could have been. Mm -hmm. But it, you know, uh, the the 16,000 connections overpowered me. So yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> it is a lot. But, and so how many hours a day then were you like? Were you working on it? Um, it varied. Uh, I did the design kind of, you know, whenever I could fit it in, um, you know, for let's say about two months. Um, it didn't, it, the, the front of the building took me longer than probably the entire rest of the building because it was just a lot more complicated. Um, but then from there, uh, just kind of, you know, ordered parts, waiting for parts to arrive, didn't spend a ton of time, and then probably spent the good part of, like, the afternoons of a month putting it all together. Um, and there are some where, you know, they probably were a lot longer than an afternoon, but um, it, it, it takes a lot of time. It, uh, it's definitely not for the faint of heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds like, yeah, there's a lot involved. And so um, I guess design is sounds to me like the harder part. Would that be right? Like the, the digital design of the of the thing? Because, uh, you know, it's it's kind of like a lot writing on all of that stuff working out. Is that the way you kind of looked at it? And, and did you, like, which part did you prefer, I guess, between design and building? Um, I do a lot of digital design now, and I'm... There, there are perks to both. Um, sometimes you just need to check a connection and make sure it works. It'll say that it works, and yet there's some kind of micro collision, and you don't really see it. And then you get to that point, and it doesn't work, and you have to go back to square one. But I would say it, um, it, it, it varies. By the end, I was very tired of building it. Um, that many bricks you develop calluses that you did not know were possible to develop 
Um, it, uh, you know, it, especially with all those plates, like it got, it got exhausting and there's so much tedium in putting that stuff together. But, um, I definitely had like a moment when it was done and actually done like the, I had vinyl stickers made for, uh, for the, the signs on the front and everything. And like, I put the stickers on and I stood there and I was just like, okay, (laughs) you know, we need some time here. (laughs) Well, what an achievement. Yeah. Like that must've felt amazing when you finally finished that, especially with the length of the project from start to finish, you know, being so long. Yeah. It it started, um, I want to say beginning of August of 2021 and like the final parts went on in January. So it was, it, it was a while. That's a lot. Yeah. Um, so I'm just looking at the comments that are coming through here and we have, uh, Tony did ask this question. Um, so, uh, how can people contact you if you are open for business when it comes to designing mocks for people, Jared, um, I have a banner running on the screen. If you're watching this live, um, that's life in pieces, brickshop.com. Is that right, Jared? That is correct. And there's a a fill in form there. Yeah. Okay. So Tony, you can go ahead and uh, and reach out to Jared on your request uh, to have a custom design. Tony had a follow-up question related to Lego investing. Um, I might be able to answer this one. So it is, uh, what's your outlook on Lego investing with the condition of the economy, inflation, um, et cetera? So, and I see another question that is um, highly related to that as well. So uh, yeah, I'll just kind of, give my thoughts on this. So folks, I mean, nobody knows when it comes to the economy and what it's going to do on Lego investments, right? So anybody who tries to say whether they understand what's going to happen with the Lego market or stock market or real estate, they're, you know, they, they, nobody really knows, but we can make educated guesses and educated decisions based on what we've seen in the past. And the thing is, so market cycles happen every 10 years or so, and we do go into recessions and different things like that. And so it's it's a normal thing, firstly, right? And I know there's a ton of uh, bad news hitting at the same time right now, you know, and we all know what all those things are, so I won't repeat it now. And so it's likely that this recession will be a big one. Uh, that said, Lego is where I want to be, right? If I'm running a resale <laughs> business, I would rather resell something that, you know, is finite in its supply. Um, And we're talking about Lego investing particularly now because we invest in a set and then it retires and then the suppliers, the retailers can't stock it anymore. And so the supply is finite and it starts to dwindle. Okay. And so, you know, if, even if we're in a recession, the supply is finite, right? There's only so much of that supply that can ever come back. And so, even if demand drops a little bit and people are not buying as much because they have a little bit less money, which by the way, I think it's going to be minimal um, just because, you know, typically uh, people still want to spend in holiday period and give their kids good Christmases and different things like that. That still happens. And I think Lego is still going to have very, very strong sales this Q4, no matter what happens. Um, But even if demand dropped a little bit, supply is still finite. And so what would that mean for Lego investors? Maybe we hold another couple of months if we have to, I don't think that that's going to happen. I'm, I'm, I'm business as usual. Maybe we have to hold a couple of extra months. In my opinion, it's not going to be much worse than that. And so, um, you know, we are very, very fortunate in selling something that has a finite supply. It, it means that we have options, right? And there's a lot of other businesses out there that, um, you know, they won't be able to do those things. They're going to need to move uh, inventory faster. And depending on what industry they're in, it might be trickier. I genuinely think that Lego investing is 
uh, it's in a very strong position. So I'm not worried whatsoever. Um, but again, that's just my opinion. I, uh, yeah, you can't, nobody knows for sure exactly what's going to happen, but I, I got that question twice here in the comments. So thought I'd make a sure. quick comment on it. Someone um, also said, uh, said slow month for sales and yeah, it has, it, it, it slowed down a little bit and, uh, nobody ever likes to see that, but you know what, there's also nobody that's doing this seriously. That is, uh, you know, not playing the long game anyway. So it'll be what it'll be. That's really what it comes down to Jared is having that mindset. It'll be what it'll be. We will power on. <laughs> Um, also, I got to call out that entrepreneurs in general who have a little bit of resilience can really capitalize during times of downturns in economy, you know, and there sure. are like there are opportunities out there uh, for those who are willing to stick it out and, and look for them. Um, some people will run away from starting a business in times like this. They will make assumptions that maybe they can't be successful because of what they're reading in the news. And as a result, you know, we might be able to get the supplier that they would have had, right? Or we might be able to make that sale that they would have had. And sure. um, opportunity will come up from that. And, you know, there was, I actually watched a really, really good uh, webinar recently from Patrick Bet David um, on YouTube. He's from Valuetainment, uh, where he talks about the economy and, and what's expected and different things. He's talking about it from the lens of a stock market investor, mm -hmm. but very, very powerful and impactful um, webinar uh, for anyone who's you know, thinking a little bit about recession and different things like that, because he talks a lot about how it's times when it's, it's when times are seeming bad that the most millionaires are created. And, you know, like there's people who in 2008, when you know, the, the world went through a global uh, meltdown, essentially, um, you know, those who looked for the opportunity were the ones that were, were created true wealth over the course of a couple of years. And so, you know, perseverance, uh, and being dedicated to continually growing your business and growing your knowledge, I think is all we need to do. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And all those people that uh, that aren't going to start businesses and, and aren't going to hold on to their stuff, uh, that's inventory for everybody else. So, uh, you, you know, pay attention. Yeah. There you go. Exactly. So, um, so Jared, coming back to the, the design um, business. So I guess, like, I'm curious about the, 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 the aspect of actually working with a client, right? Because it's mm -hmm. got to be quite different than your uh, BrickLink business where your client, your customer is online and they just order something, you ship it to them. Maybe you have to answer a question or two, but there's no like meeting with the person or, you know, walking them through something that you created or anything like that. Yeah. What was that process like for you? Did you like it? Did you hate it when it comes to actually partnering with someone, a customer so closely uh, that you were at the end of the day accountable for delivering to? Sure. It, it's tough. Um, it always remains tough. It doesn't really get any easier. Um, I think th there are a couple of, of parts of it. One, um, nobody goes in knowing how expensive it's going to be. This is not like a, a, a cheap business to be in. You know how, how expensive parts are. Um, so it, it, it gets to be, you know, those conversations are always tough. Um, and also the, um, the revision process gets really tough. Um, I, I went through a couple about two or three weeks ago where they were like, you know, could you change this? And I'm like, do you realize that's going to take like three or four hours for me to like go in and change all of this? And you just blew your parts budget because you wanted to make something bigger. 
Yeah. So, uh, you know, like, just so you understand that, you know, it, it might not be the best idea. And you want to make sure that they get what they want and it looks the best that it possibly can be. Um, you know, I don't want to put my name on something that I don't think is is looks decent or uh, or is my is not my best work, but uh, it, it's it's tough sometimes. And some some of the choices that people make, you just won't agree with, and you just kind of have to do them anyway. Um, they want things in certain colors. They want things, and you know, it's just um, it's part of it. You have to. There there are some where um, the exact opposite happens, where I would have done something differently. And then somebody asked me for something and I go back and like, that was the right decision. And I'm going to tell them it because that it always makes everybody feel good. But, um, but it, it definitely can weigh on you. And it's very tough, especially, you know, w when you're used to working completely by yourself and you, you then, you know, are being told to do something, you know, is not the correct thing to do. It is a lot to kind of reel in the ego and just do the job but yeah it's it's part of it you know it's it's going to be it's going to be better or worse on some days yeah and I, I imagine some of the difficulty comes from a lack of knowledge about lego right because your clients yeah. if they're companies that want their building encapsulated in a lego model a lot of the times you know, they're not going to know a whole lot about Lego. And so they're going to make that request. That's going to be four hours of work. You'll know it's going to be four hours of work, but also they're going to ask for parts that are maybe a, a more expensive color than, you know, and your knowledge, you know, oh, that's going to be a higher bill just because of the color that you want and different things like that. So you're kind of playing a, a persuasion game pretty much yeah. the whole time. Is that, is that kind of true? It's more, it's always doable. Right. But, but the, um, you know, if you build a wall that is one brick, and if you build a wall that's the hundred bricks, the hundred brick wall is going to look better. Um, so you can simplify things and make them cheaper, but then they aren't going to look like what that customer wants. Um, and and explaining that is a bit tough. Um, you know, getting I, I generally. I say like there's always going to be some kind of artistic liberty that needs to be taken um, and maintain the the illusion and the spirit of what's in front of me. Um, yeah. You know, the, the, the facade of the cast iron building is not perfect, but it mimics everything enough that you know exactly what it is. And that's what what I mean. You know, you want you want to be able to give off that illusion. You want it to be a, a, a good visual representation of what they want. And yep. it may not be exactly detail for detail accurate, but it but it it does that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So for anybody out there is listening and thinking, I would love to design models for companies and get paid to do it. Like, I guess how did you stumble across this? How, like, how did you get to a point where you're kind of like, you know what? I think that that's um, a fruitful direction that I want to go in. Um, what, are there communities and different things like that out there that you would recommend people to join, for example, so that they can get a little more plugged into the, to the business model? Sure. Um, I mean, definitely having uh, the digital design prowess is important. Um, there's a Facebook group just for, uh, for stud.io, which is uh, Bricklink's software that we all use. Um, that, uh, you know, just for people that do that design, that's definitely good to jump in and, and learn from people that are somehow always better than you. Um, but, uh, 
you yeah i mean i i always knew it was around um because when i was a, a teenager and i had just moved out i did a couple of things you know that were kind of one-off designs um just to pay the rent and uh so i always knew it was a, a thing and i um as I kind of grew and started going full time, I knew, I just knew that that was the part of the business that I wanted, right? That you, you have, um, if you look at a business in, in, in just very broad ways, you know, you have what is like the analytical part of the business and then the creative part of the business. And I wanted the store to be the analytical part of the business. And I wanted this to be the, the creative part. So I can exercise both sides and I won't get tired of it because you're always kind of, you always can move in one direction or the other. You know, if I'm burnt out and doing stuff, I can go into the store and just work on parts and tune out for a while. Um, but if I feel like I have an itch, then I'm closing the doors early and I'm going to be working on that. That's an amazing way to think about it because I actually think it's important for everybody in their everyday life to have some sort of creative thing to counterbalance anything that you have that's a little bit more repetitive or menial because it does make everything else a little bit easier if you can kind of escape into something that's a little bit creative. And honestly, I think that's why a lot of us love Lego as Lego builders and fans, right? Like we, sure. we do it for the creative aspect and the relaxation that comes with it. And so having another revenue stream in your business that taps into that creativity, that's fantastic. But do you think that that's actually a barrier to entry for some people? Like, do you think that maybe there's some people who are listening or watching to the, uh, this who they they think that they want to do it, but, you know, maybe that they don't have the design skills that's needed? Do you think that there's a kind of a certain amount of uh, talent, raw talent that goes into being a designer um, of Lego? Or do you think it's fully learnable for anybody? Um, I think it, it, there's a little bit of both, right? Um there's a certain raw talent in in every single thing i'm not a geneticist all i know is that my dad's an engineer and i do this um but i uh i know that when i started i might have had like the the visualization i could see what i wanted but to actually make that happen that doesn't happen automatically that takes a lot of um a lot of hard work a lot of you know, pulling in your ego and watching YouTube videos. I, I had this happen. There's a good example of this. I had this happen the other day. Um, I have a problem building terrain. For some reason, there's like a mental block. And I, as I was watching YouTube videos, and I can't remember who, who what, what channel it was, but like, this is effectively like a 14 year old's YouTube channel. And, and just walking through it. And I'm looking at the terrain. I'm like, oh my God, it's so much better than mine. Like, it's so much better. But I, I just, for some reason, I couldn't make that work. And I, I learned a lot just from watching that. So technical prowess is something that you can definitely learn. Um, definitely the way to start, one is just messing around with design stuff um, and learning basic techniques. Um, and then really just understanding the part catalog. You know, what... If, if you know as many bricks as possible, then you know as many possible combinations that can make the shape that you're looking for. Um, yeah. You know, uh, they introduce new types of brackets and I lose my mind because I love using brackets. Um, but that that kind of, of little thing really helps. And occasionally you'd kind of run into something where I'm like, I didn't even know what set did this come in? 
Like, I have no idea. It's not in anything I've parted out, so I don't know that it exists. And yet it pops up, and, and, and I'm happy for it. Yeah, yeah. So it sounds like there's a really good kind of a balance, or maybe not balance is the word I'm looking for, but a, like a good kind of combination between running a brickling store and doing mock design because your understanding of the parts is just that much greater than the general population. Would you say that that's fair to say? Oh yeah. Um, when, when new parts get added, like I, you know, I, I always kind of have those moments where, um, I, I bought a bunch of monkey kid sets on prime day and I'm excited to break them open just because as I was, uh, adding them into brick store, uh, I was looking, I'm like, Ooh, that's a, like, is that a concave slope? Okay. Well, I want to look at that. And, uh, you know, it just, it, it, it absolutely helps. Um, that, and the fact that very rarely do I run into a situation where I can't come into the store and pull parts out of a drawer to test something out. So they might not be in the right color, but at least I'll have a semblance of the parts that I need to test a connection, to test spacing, to test anything like that. Something, you know, that's more technical that I need to know um, the range of motion on something. So yeah. it, it definitely is. I can imagine it being quite difficult to do a design and then you're building, you know, your design and you're only working off the parts that you order for that design and you can't, you know, test kind of other variations. And, and if you run into an issue, you don't have the parts you need to make a change. Yeah. And, and nobody's ever going to do it perfect, especially, you know, in, in their, in their first designs. It's, um, I, I make mistakes all the time. Um, or, or you, you do a digital design and it's just not optimized correctly where, um, you know, you should have had two things attached or, or you, you overbuilt or you underbuilt, whatever it is where, you know, you, you definitely could have utilized different parts to do it. And now you're, you're out of luck. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to, I guess, um, options for the future, right? Mm -hmm. um, I guess, do you like, is mock design uh, on commission something that could be a full-time um, thing for you? Or would it all, like, essentially, how, how does it weigh up against your BrickLink business when it comes to um, its potential for growth in the future and, like, the financial benefit that it would bring you? Um, I'm not totally sure. Um, I'm just kind of getting more into promoting it now and kind of always having a project running in the background and trying to make sure that those projects get done in good time so that, you know, you always have happy customers. But I, I don't know. I mean, I know that the Brickling store will always be not, um, I think it, it, there's, there's less effort to make it income generating in the long run, because it's already here. I don't, I'm not building from the ground up. You know, there's a, there's a functioning business here that really I have to maintain. Um, what I've thought in moving forward is just bringing somebody on just to pick orders, even if it's just to pick and pack orders. And I do, you know, the purchasing and the inventory, cause that's what I like to do. Um, that, that would be probably the best solution moving forward, but the numbers have to work. And, uh, you know, the demand for my time needs to be there too. And right now I can pretty well manage it. There are some times like this week was a little crazy because I'm, I'm wrapping up two projects. Um, 
and I have another one that's a more like private commission that I, I, I know I should get done quickly, but I don't really have the time to. Um, so it's been a little tough just to manage it all. But, um, but most of the time it's pretty, it's pretty workable. So we'll see how it, how it grows. Um, I think though, like the demand for, um, for corporate jobs, that's really where the money is. Um, the personal stuff is nice to do. It gives me some variation, but, but that's, it's definitely smaller change. Um, the one thing that I do see a potential for is doing, uh, like good custom mosaics for people. Um, I, I've done a bunch of those and they're, they don't take as much time. They take a lot of time to assemble, but it's kind of, it, it's, it's brainless work to put, you know, the, the studs on, but um, I've done, I've done a couple. I actually set a couple on the side over here that I can grab. So that's, let's yeah, that's see. beautiful. Yeah. And it's, it's simple, but like, you know, they're the, the Lego art style of, of, uh, of mosaic. And, you know, it means that there's real easy bones to work up. Really. I don't have to build frames. They're already designed. You know, I can just do the, uh, the patterning. So I I've done some of those and then there's a bigger one here. Let's see if I can actually get this on screen. So we have, Oh, well, yeah, General Grievous walking through the flames. Um, but like, you know, it doesn't take as much time, which means I don't have to bill as high for stuff like that. Um, yeah. And that's a much more manageable thing to promote. Um, you know, if people want um, a, a mosaic done for, you know, of their pet, for their family photo, for, for anything like that, um, business logos. Mm -hmm. um, I did a business logo recently, and that was... You know, it was, it was, I designed it in an hour. Um, yeah. So it was, it was a lot easier to do. Um, and the personal photos, I mean, they're, they're definitely a good touch. I did, um, I did one for my fiance when we got engaged. And that was a, that was like a, you know, she had no idea it was coming. And it was a good, good metric for the fact that, you know, I do this for a living and she didn't know it was coming. So if you yeah. just surprise mm -hmm. somebody with that, it definitely blows them away. I saw that one on your Instagram account and it was really amazing. So yeah, I think everybody should check out uh, life and pieces on Instagram and you'll see that mosaic there um, that he, he gifted to his, his fiance. Amazing. Um, really awesome. I also saw, I think I saw on your Instagram as well that you uh, went to a convention um, at some point. Yes. Is that right? I so have a couple coming up too. Yeah. Um, I do. I, so I don't do um, Brick Fair or Brick World or anything because they're not really very close to me. Um, you know, Brick World in Chicago is a bit of a trip and the uh, closest Brick Fair generally is in Edison, New Jersey, which is still a bit of a trip. Um, I might do one. I might do Brick Fair soon, but I do some local toy shows. Um, there's a good community. Uh, I'm, I'm from Poughkeepsie. So there's a there's a good community around here that that does that. And then we have a uh, a pretty sizable local Comic Con. Uh, Poughkeepsie is like kind of a good hub between Albany and New York City, so that gets like two to three thousand people at it, and uh, so that'll be good. Yeah, it, it's a it's a big show. Um, so we'll be doing that in August, and uh, you know it's really it's good just to show off some of the some of the mocks, um, and and just 
kind of connect with people around me. Um, yeah. Part of the reason that I like doing the local stuff too, and like, um, like working with local companies is that I can just invite them here. Like I can just, I can bring them to my office. They can see, you know, one that this is, you know, it, it's, it's a, it's a real business, but also, you know, when you stand in front of a Lego design that that's uh, that's two or three feet tall, it hits you a lot harder yeah. than seeing photos of it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And so you're working out of a commercial space, right? You, you, you know, yep. you're in an office for everything. Yeah, absolutely. And being able to bring people in and show them your work, uh, really, really powerful. And on the mosaic front as well, I actually saw somebody doing it in a shopping mall. Someone had a stall for mosaics. Now, I don't think it was official Lego parts. I think it Probably was more not. knockoff stuff. And, um, you know, I, I, I don't know the legit legitimacy behind a lot of their operation. But, you know, it, it's definitely in demand and, and it's just getting it in front of people oh, is yeah. the difficult part. And so do you, like, I guess being a BrickLink seller um, and for us as well as Lego investors using eBay or Amazon, whenever you're selling something on a platform that's bringing you thousands and thousands of buyers, it's amazing, right? We don't have to do our own mm. marketing. There's just a pool of people there ready to buy our stuff, um, which, by the way, if you are, you know, worried about the fees on eBay or the fees on Amazon or BrickLink, I know BrickLink is a lot lower. You really shouldn't be because it's a small price to pay for what they give us. Uh, you know, I'm happy to give Amazon, you know, their fee because, well, like then the volume of buyers that they bring uh, without me having to do any marketing, it's amazing. Oh, yeah. It BrickLink spoils us there. It's amazing, right? It's yeah. really, like being able to tap into that many people who are looking for the stuff that you have in your inventory. It's amazing. It's totally worth the fees that we pay those platforms. But Jared, for your mock business, you know, you suddenly find yourself having to be a marketer. Like, how has yeah. that been for your your kind of for your business? So you you know you're you're kind of having to think about things a little bit differently to get sales for your uh, for your mosaics. Yeah, it's um, it's been it's been interesting. Definitely, word of mouth has been big um and just social media has been big um you know i when i posted the cast iron building it was completed for a while i didn't really know when it was gonna be put like be installed so i didn't post it anywhere i just kind of left it you know uh sitting in its place and uh when i finally posted it i mean it reached uh, i have to check the like all the the post insights but it's reached over seven thousand people organically well um, people share it. People like it. So um, definitely the, the social media aspect is is the way to, to push. Um, it got reshared by a couple of uh, a couple of pages and I've gained a lot of followers because of that. And that helps. So um, that and, and just word of mouth locally has been good. Um, uh, I had someone just knock on my door one day and ask to like look around and everything, which was interesting. <laughs> um, so th that's. Uh, that's definitely something, but yeah, it's, it's definitely a change and the, the platforms do spoil you, especially BrickLink because of, you know, you don't have to take photos of anything. You know, I just, I, I push four buttons and I have parts of my inventory. Like it, it, it definitely spoils you and you kind of get complacent with, with working that way. It's like having to, um, I, I'm editing an Instagram reel just of, of for all the different angles of the building. And wow, it's taking me way longer than it should. But it, uh, it's just you know you gotta act like re-exercise those muscles because they they kind of atrophy. So it, yeah, I, I haven't really wor worked with any 
paid promotion yet. Um, I'll probably be rejoining for this business, uh, like the local chambers of commerce and everything and seeing where that takes me and, and just kind of go from there. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You're flexing completely different muscles with, uh, with this business, but it's super, uh, super, um, uh, innovative, uh, you know, because whenever you have to kind of bring in your own buyers, it's just, uh, it's a whole different world. You know, oh, we yeah. are definitely spoiled as online resellers. Um, Jared, I just have a couple more and, uh, and we can, we can start to close out, but I'm definitely sure. curious, just kind of looking back at both of your, the businesses that you've grown kind of in tandem. Um, if you were to think about, I guess, what was the big, like if you were to give one major challenge in both cases, right? And for your BrickLink business, what is a big challenge that you, looking back, you had to deal with in growing your business, getting to where you are today? And also in your um, your commission mock design and creating business, what are some of the big, or like a, one big challenge that you've had to deal with uh, on that front? Sure. Um, for BrickLink, the the goal is always to invest inventory right um and that's something that's very easy to do because there's always a return on it the big investment uh, the big challenge for me when i got this space i moved in um the beginning of november and uh and i had an idea of what i wanted um but actually sitting down and doing the math and realizing how much all of these acro mills units were going to cost me how much all the shelving in the other rooms were going to cost me all of that i mean you know anybody can google the price of the acro mills so i, I don't really care about divulging it but i mean to outfit this place probably costs i don't know six seven grand mm -hmm. and to get everything all set up and 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 make it work and uh you know it it was tough and i just kind of had a moment where you know I've had, I, I've, I've started my own business before it didn't work. And I kind of thought like, why didn't it, you know, besides the, the extraordinary circumstances. And sometimes you just really need to be willing to go all in. And that was just, it was very tough. It was very tough to go like, okay, you know, we, uh, you know, the, I don't know how to say it without putting it bluntly, but you know, we're not going to half-ass this. We're going to make it work. Um, I, I'm going to put the money in. I'm going to spend the time. You know, I spent months pu putting putting everything in these drawers, um, cataloging everything because um, you're doing it all by hand. Even with a barcode scanner, it doesn't get faster. Like you're doing it really all by hand and and figuring, building the system, figuring out how to do that, all that. And it just took one mental push where you know, th here's the chance. Don't mess it up. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I mean, for the, the mock business, it was much more, <laughs> um, I, 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 I had a, a website designed. I didn't do it myself because I knew I wanted it to look the way that it should. Um, so that was, that was a, a big kind of hurdle, but also just doing it. I mean, nobody really wants to put themselves out there like that. And it's effectively, I, my, my fiance likes to remind me of, of this all the time. Um, I don't think of this as art. I think of it much more on the engineering side and everything, but it is, it's, it's art. And nobody, nobody likes to, to put themselves out there with the, uh, the idea of, you know, rejection. What if they don't like it? What if they, um, you know, what, what, whatever it is. And, uh, and, 
that's just a, a whole other beast, you know. Yeah. There are some days when it just I I finished the uh, the the cast iron building and I don't know what it was, but I actually had an Instagram account come back to me and tell me that the build wasn't technically proficient enough to repost. <laughs> and I and I and I was like, all right, like you know what, yeah. <laughs> like you win. I don't know. Um, yeah. And that was a, you know, I I wasn't even upset. I was just like, all right, cool. Like, <laughs> well, I'll go to somebody else. Um, but you know, as opposed to what I, how I would have reacted to that a year ago, you know, that would have been yeah. uh, that would have been like a critical blow. Yep. So now it was just kind of a laugh it off. You know, hey, this was funny today. All right, let's move on. Haters gonna hate. Yeah. <laughs> That's always gonna be the case. Yeah, there's always <laughs> gonna be some people who don't like don't like what you're doing for some reason or other. Yeah. Um, just learning how to deal with that, I guess, is always gonna be a challenge, especially in a creative space where you're selling. Uh, you know, your creations. Uh, sure. Absolutely. But, you know, I don't want to end on a negative note. So I guess <laughs> it sounds like you're having the time of your life with both in both cases. You were you had the opportunity to quit your job. You've been able to build an incredible business doing both BrickLink and selling mock designs and creations, um, achieving incredible things that I'm sure a lot of people who are watching and listening would love uh, to, to get going. So if you were to think about um, you know, any kind of last minute tips or tricks or anything that you would say to someone who's just getting started? Um, you know, let's take let's take BrickLink. Someone's just getting started on BrickLink. If you could think about your your if you could redo your first 30 days, um, how would you approach it? Is there anything that you would do differently? Anything that, you know, you think that someone who's just about to start uh, should kind of jump straight in um, and do? Sure. Um, the biggest thing and I think the biggest advantage that you see some stores very quickly take off and others really never grow and they never really grow their 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 buyers or anything um they don't I, I think there's a big difference between hobby sellers and people that are selling as a business and i think that that's the biggest thing um you know you separate all your finances you you know um you have no personal attachment to this it's not what you want it's what you think will sell well um you know, I would love to have, you know, uh, an army of stormtroopers and I know that nobody wants them. So, um, you know, it's, it's tough to, to kind of separate all of that out and realize, you know, this isn't, this isn't Jared's, you know, uh, Lego toolbox. It's, it's, uh, this is a business. This is, um, it's an entity that has no wants or needs except to generate income. And that's how it needs to be looked at. You know, you um, there there are going to be some things that are going to be boring. Like uh, I just bought a bunch of just uh, Lego Creator Classic boxes, and you know what? They're not fun. They're not exciting, but they have a good part out count, and I'm low on bricks. So you know, let's let's make it happen. I I, I think that that's the toughest thing. That you know, if you're starting it as a hobby, you're starting it as a hobby because it's fun. And that there, there are some things in there that aren't fun, but if you don't do them, it's never going to grow. Yeah. So that, that's definitely it. I, I, you know, there's all the, the, the little bits and tips and tricks, but they won't really help if you don't have that down. I love that answer though, because, you know, it is much more, more important to figure out that mindset first before we can think about the tactics, right? And the tactics, they are, they change anyway. Right. And maybe like, maybe not as, as often with BrickLink because the, the site is never updated, but you know, <laughs> tactics in any business can change fast. 
Uh, so understanding the strategies first, but even before you can learn the strategies, understanding the mindset that you need to have and going into a Lego based business because you're a massive Lego fan, um, it can lead to mistakes because you might think that it's just all going to be fun. But at the end of the day, we're trying to grow a business and, uh, you know, we get it as well in Lego investing. I didn't particularly think when I first started buying Lego sets to invest in that I would find myself buying Duplo or buying yeah. Lego friend sets, right? And it's not exactly, you know, the coolest sets to be buying and putting in storage, but, you know, there's there's opportunities out there that people are ignoring because uh, it's not a set that they love or because, you know, it's not a, a theme that they typically would like to build in their spare time. Um, if we think about it like a business, you know, you get to tap into that and you get to kind of approach it the right way. That's that's very true. I, I have that problem still, like with minifigures. Um, and part of it is that I don't, I don't know certain markets, you know, in the same way that, um, you know, with, with Lego investing, you, you have certain, your, your certain themes that you work in. Those are the, you know, I have my certain themes that I work in for minifigures. I know Star Wars, I know Marvel, I know DC, um, and I know Lord of the Rings when you can get them and, and that kind of stuff. But when you get deeper, like, I don't know anything about Ninjago. I, I I know nothing. I vaguely know character names. So like, I don't know what will sell and what won't, but I'll try, you know, I'm not going off of, I know this is a, a good character to buy. I'm going off of just business analytics. And you are at, at kind of a disadvantage with that, but you still have to, you know, you can't pigeonhole yourself. You have to give yourself some, uh, some ability to grow. Yeah. I'm finding some balance, you know, we can, you know, having knowledge about Lego will still be very beneficial, but, you know, being making sure that you're kind of also doing the analysis. Sure. All right, Jared, this was amazing. I had a great, great time on this. And, you know, I, I feel like I learned a ton. I definitely think others have learned a ton. So thank you so much for your time. Uh, to everybody watching and listening, um, make sure to subscribe, of course, both to this show, but also uh, go and check out Life in Pieces um, at his website. Uh, you can find the link in the description um, on the YouTube video. And also uh, check out Life in Pieces on Instagram. And um, thank you so much for everybody for uh, for being here. And uh, I will catch you all in the next one. Jared, thanks again for your time tonight. It's been great. Absolutely. Thank you for having me.